cave a big warg to all of you apologies for the delay but here is part two with the wonderful dr music himself john lane love that stuff are you kidding me two in the weeds that was the best i love it i I like when i mean it's your passion it's what you're enthusiastic about you teach it you know a lot about it and inevitably you're gonna have some thoughts or your own views on it that maybe you don't always share with everyone. I I, I think, yeah. I don't know. I, I like doing this podcast in particular because it gives people a place to talk about stuff like that. Like, I'm kind of geeking out here, but I like this. Or, of course, like, that's what I want to hear, you know, to, it, to just turn on some sort of lecture of, and then in the 19th century, that's when... <laughs> like, ah, this yeah. doesn't feel very passionate, but I like when, you know, ah, this, this is what... The, did you watch uh, Mozart in the Jungle? No. So it, it was this Amazon show that didn't last. I think it only did two or three seasons. Uh, but it, the the main uh, it follows the symphony. It's like the New York Philharmonic, I believe. And the main conductor always uses this phrase: "Play with the blood." He'd like you know listen to people audition to be a part of the symphony or the orchestra, and. Uh, they play behind a curtain, so you can just kind of see their silhouette, hear their sound, and then you'd listen and go, uh, you there, play, play that again. But hit, when you hit that B sharp, can you pop it this way or whatever? And then they play it again, and then he might turn to his assistant and go, I like them. They play with the blood. And I think that translates so much to life. It's such a silly phrase, but they play with the blood. It just feels so much like you, you can hear it. You can hear when someone plays and loves what they play and likes to do it and isn't just stepping yeah. out to... Here's another one. Two shows tonight, folks. I mean, we see that all the time in comedy. It's just so boring. Someone's just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. No, I often kind of steer away from like movies and shows that are about music or musicians because uh, fictionalized ones, because I, I feel like, you know, it's probably the same for people who are, you know, work in the emergency room or something and watch ER. You know, it's just <laughs> probably a similar feeling like well, that's not really what it's like, but OK. Um yeah, the, the the hardest one I which I did watch was um, it's the one with the jazz drummer. Uh, oh, um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I was just thinking of it when you were mentioning that story. And I, uh, why I, I, the name blank, of it. I keep wanting to say Slapshot. It's not that, but yeah. it's similar. It's a uh, it's the one where he's not my tempo, right? He's yeah, like pushing yeah, him and pushing like you're, him. You're rushing, you're rushing, you're yeah. dragging. Or you're rushing or dragging <laughs> or whatever. I, I've actually known, I don't know what it is about, you know, j- jazz, but I've known jazz directors like that, teachers like that, you know, conductors or uh, conductors, you know, music like directors uh, to be, you know, somewhat uh, abrasive like that. 
but you know the whole scene where he's like practicing until his hands are bleeding i'm just like oh come on you know give it, give it a rest <laughs> it's ridiculous what's that called are i'm looking it, it up? up i never okay. do this but i have to it's, it's driving me crazy <sighs> I'm sorry i can't remember it whiplash not slip slash that's yeah, it thank whiplash. you yeah that I, uh... was painful that was painful to watch that one i was like oh man i can see that where they it's it's difficult when uh for me this must always happen maybe you have uh producers or people saying well we brought john lane in he teaches percussion he's dr music um he's just gonna walk us and you'd go guys we would never do that and uh, yeah but it's a movie so we have to you know, boxing, think of all the body shots, just uh, just blows to the face. You watch actual boxing. If any of those shots happen, fight's over. The person's like, I broke my ribs. But in a boxing movie, just over and over, boom, boom, boom. And they just go back and forth until our hero usually wins. So maybe they have to add that <clears throat> of, oh, yeah, that's how it goes. That's that's the sensationalism of the movies. And you're like, uh-uh, I want the realism the flip of that is if, say, we did a show about Dr. Music, they would have you out in your yard playing the triangle for 10 minutes and being an eccentric, a character that is very endearing and the crowd or the audience eventually learns to like, but the eccentricities that are there would be heightened so much that I would imagine your colleagues would be like, well, this makes kind of a mockery of us. We're not that weird and eccentric. You're like, oh, you're not. What about this? What What about when you threw a, a handful of gravel on a stretched whatever type of canvas and gently hit that with a stick while listening to it with a stethoscope. Well, that was for research. I like, yeah, but in a show that'd be really fun to create that. And we'd be showing those eccentricities. You go, no, 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 <laughs> you're making it. So I, I give some credit to a movie like whiplash or like they, that always used to happen with me with like rodeo movies and anything to do with horses. I'd be like, ah, come on. That's ridiculous. But now I've since I give them a little pass now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah. It's fictionalized. It's for dramatic effect. I, I get it. But, uh, there was one movie that got it exactly right, and it was from about around 2008 or somewhere in that range, early aughts, called Untitled. And it was about this struggling experimental composer. Maybe he was in New York or something, and he he was really trying to find his voice and couldn't quite do it. And he would always encounter this other composer who was quite famous and well-established in this little universe of experimental music. And, and it was just about his sort of creative struggles. And that movie got it right, like nice. exactly right. And it's nice when it, it's nice when that happens, you know, when, when it's, when it feels authentic and comes from that, that place. Um, Francis Ha also did that with the, the main character. Did you ever see that one? I couldn't um, get into it. I don't know why. I don't know if it was the way it was shot or what. I know a lot of people that I trusted their opinion really liked it. I I just didn't feel like the story grabbed me. Maybe I didn't give it enough time or something. Yeah, that one I felt like got the got it right too. Uh, like a you know, kind of a wandering, aimless young artist trying to figure out you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway. This might be <clears throat> you were t you were kind of lamenting that you got off in the weeds a little bit, which is where I like to. Ha conduct conversations because I like the the uncertainty or the the ambiguity of yeah I don't know or you know trying to figure out where certain unknowable things might originate from and or how we settle on whatever it is you you play the chains and you go I, I have found when I lift it this sort of six inches and then I drop it that feels right to me if I go out to the right and I change that drop depth 
when it swings, mm, I don't like that sound. You don't know why. There's just some feel there. That's the best example I can give with the chains, but everyone has that. I was, I fix up a lot of old wooden furniture, and every now and again I'll watch a tutorial, and some people get so into like, here's how I test the previous finish, and then you can tell this is a lacquer one. Now, if I'm matching lacquer, here's what I'll do. And they go through all these steps where, yes, in the end, it is... It's almost imperceivable where the stain was or the dent or the discoloration. They have matched it perfectly. And I love that. I'm impressed by that. That seems to be a definitive, there's an answer. There's, there's no gray area. You nailed it. You might look at mine and be like, oh, that's, <clears throat> that's pretty close. And I would say, well, yeah, it's like on the side. It's going to be in the corner. No one's going to see that. I just didn't want it to be as bad as it was. Good enough for me. I like the idea of just half-assing a lot of stuff. Because if you commit to being a perfectionist at everything, you won't get anything done. You have to kind of go, I do too much stuff for it to all try to be perfected. I'm yeah. going, if I'm writing, I'll get a, a line or a joke or a something rather together where I go, that's good enough. That that works. It suits my purposes. There's probably a better one. There's probably a better thing. But I've always found, you know, in the beginning when I was doing stand up and I was making albums every couple of years... I was doing a lot more shows. I was on stage a lot so I could try them differently. But but even then, I would move through them. Okay, like that one's out. That's done. And this last one I made, I had like seven years. I wasn't performing as much. So when I did, I'd had a lot of time to think about it, a lot of time to decide on which joke or how I was going to structure it. And I don't know that that helped. I, I think that sometimes the half-ass mentality of it, of just – that sounds good right now. Let's move ahead was helpful. No, but if you stay here for 10 minutes or 10 years, you'll get the perfect sound. You'll figure out exactly where the chain should drop from. I kind of like more up, drop. Sounds pretty good. Let's move ahead. But I'm curious how you f see that. Yeah. Um, I think about a couple different, a couple different thoughts came to mind as you were talking through that. One is. That's a gentle once... way to say rambling on. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I heard once a, a quote from Steven Spielberg, of all people, that stuck with me. And he says, you know, films are never finished. They're only abandoned. And I've I felt that way when I've been writing as a creative person who writes pieces and, you know, composes things that I'm I'm always reticent to put it out and have other people do it because well, I might go back and tweak it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the next time I play that piece, I tweak it a little bit, you know. <laughs> And uh, but there have been some pieces over the years where it was a commission or something. You know, somebody asked me to write a piece and I had to deliver by a certain deadline and it had to be finished. Like I had to just let go. I had to let go of it and it had to be done. And uh, I think about that. So that that's one thought that occurred to me is that, you know, pieces are never actually finished. They're just at some point you have to let them go and they take on a life of their own. Uh, and I suspect that that's similar, maybe similar to what you were talking about. Um, and then the other thing that occurs to me is the idea of practice. And, uh, you know, it's maybe a term that's overused, but I had this sort of during the during the pandemic, it was so stressful as everybody experienced it uh, in different ways. Um, but for for us here, it was really stressful to be disconnected from um my, you know, I couldn't go to my office and do my teaching and playing the way I was used to. Performing was done, you know, that was not happening. Um, having to teach students on this interface uh, 
was really difficult. And I just got in this place where, and then I was spending so much time on the computer that I developed really bad tendonitis in my hands, which then made practicing and playing painful. And I was like, <laughs> man, I'm just done with all of this. You know, I just reached a point where I was just, I was in pain. I was frustrated with this and I wasn't getting to do anything. So for some reason, I had a, a little bit of a visual art uh, practice and interest in that, uh, drawing, painting, whatever, um, working with materials. And so I started, um, I had a friend of mine who's a visual artist and he encouraged me, oh, maybe you should try experimenting with charcoals or this and get these materials. And so I got the stuff and I started messing around with it. And I, I just, every day for a half hour, an hour, I would come down here at this desk here and work, uh, practice, you know, not musical practice, but making collages, making, you know, experimenting with, uh, I got really into alcohol inks and like dropping water droplets on paper and see, you know, not with no intention of having that be public or anything that I would show anybody. It was just something for me to occupy my creative like brain space. Cause I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. And it occurred to me that practice is really important. Like as a musician, we have to, you know, if you're going to be a performing musician, you've got to practice your craft all the time, you know, you, because those, your, your, the musculature, all of that stuff, you know, if you don't work at it every day, you lose it a little bit, you know? Um, and so that's a, you, you always have that sort of going, but it was the first time that I really connected the idea of practicing in the sense that I understood it, of being a musician and having to keep up the physicality, the physical skills with the practice of some sort of creative practice where with the visual art, it was like, okay, what, what does this mean to have a visual art practice? It means to have materials and see what you can do with them and play. It's basically just play, you know, mm -hmm. but that's, that's how you arrive at ideas in that. I mean, I said somehow some people arrive at ideas in that medium is that you're working with materials and you discover that they can do this thing. And, oh, wow, if they can do that, Ooh, what if I try this and adding this element, you know, and, and I started making all these connections to, well, that's how I should be composing music. I should get the materials together. And then, you know, and I realized I just started to make all these connections during that time. And that was a really, uh, it was a really important, fruitful moment for me is even though as frustrating and stressful as it was, I realized that practice is really vital to being an artist. And you don't have to just work in one medium, you can work in these and they feed each other and all of that. So anyway, those, those were the thoughts that I had while you were. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Those make saying. complete sense to me. And I, I don't know if it was meant in a negative way, but it, there've been times where someone might say to me like, well, yeah, it's hard to tell like what you're focused on, but you know, you, you like you paint and draw comics and then you do stand up. And in my head, I'd always think, what? Like all these things serve stand up. That was for the longest time, just the, the pursuit. I'm a percussionist. What are you talking about? Like, what do I do? All these things are a way for me to, it's like taking a different course if you're pursuing this one specific degree. You wouldn't just take only courses in architecture. You might take art history and design and philosophy. And But you're, that's to be an architect. That's so that your mind has all these tools available to, oh yeah, like this classical structure in this the slope of this roof. I, I figured that out when I was blah, 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 fill in whatever that is. And I, it never made sense to me that like, I just write stand up, I do stand up, I practice stand up. That's my focus is on stand up. Yeah. But then you're going to be so limited. You're going to lose sight of how to approach things, what makes 
what makes the most sense for you to how to connect with people or how to make it make sense or all that stuff. You know, I, I think of like screen printing, you can be very exact. You can have pixel based dots that you're trying to push through a screen and you can get very ultra focused on, all right, of the 1000 dots in this particular frame, and maybe I have six frames that I'm pushing through onto this piece of paper four of these dots didn't show up. Ah, you'd go crazy. Oh no. And then I think of woodworking. And if you had a 20 foot long board with pure straight grain, that was like a soft wood and you could just slide a really sharp hand plane across it. You would have this really long, almost like ticker tape looking piece of film that came off of it. Ultra thin, like tissue paper thin. And that would feel so nice. But very few pieces of wood are that way. They have knots in them. They have grain that goes all over the place. You have to learn to adjust as you're doing that. Those are valuable things to learn of. You're really not going to get that smooth highway of just planing along. You're going to run into obstacles. And that sounds dumb, but like you hit that knot and you figure out how to plane through it. You absolutely can apply that to, oh, when I'm doing this piece, the drum should come in this way and that, and then I can work back. It would, if your brain is to be a percussionist, I feel like everything you're doing is in, is servicing that is helping it yeah. grow and learn to think differently. No, that's, that's true. That's the way I think too. And you know, there, there have been times in my career where I get frustrated with as being a percussionist and being in this such a tiny little world of, you know, it's a very, very small world, and I'm way more interested to, to collaborate and do performances and work with poets and, you know, um, people that do theater. And I, I'm more interested in, in that and in like the, the brushing up of what I do as a percussionist with these other arts and seeing what we can make together and, and you know, sort of being in the wider world of creativity. And that's what my podcast was. I was at this sort of crisis point where I was like, I, I don't want to just teach snare drum lessons for 30 <laughs> years. You know, I, I love playing Very the snare good. drum. Very good. stick in you know, that one. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> like I can play the snare drum pretty well and I can teach people how to do it, you know, at a professional level. But, you know, there's going to reach a time when that's not fulfilling, you know, in the same way that making, creating, being in that creative space is to me. Uh, some people are perfectly happy to just do that for, the, you know, and that, yeah. that's their craft. And I always have this uh, thought about like the difference between craft and art. And some people, I did this talk one time at a young artist thing in, down in Houston. Um, and I was talking about the difference between art and craft. And I ma made the mistake of saying to a room full of orchestral musicians that orchestral musicians are, are the pinnacle of craftsmanship. Like that is like the pinnacle of it. They've they're recreating this repertoire uh, perfectly every single time, you know. And it's it's like someone who's making uh, an artisan who's making pottery, and they can make the exact same shape every single time, and it's perfect. And every single one is exactly the same. And that's what you're doing with when you play Beethoven, you know, when you play <laughs> Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. You're recreating the same music in the same way every single time. And Sure, there's different interpretations. One can, you know, it might be faster or slower or whatever, but it's the same. It's the same thing, mm -hmm. you know. And they got, and I, and I, so I said, on the other side of the coin, you have the artist. And what the artist does is they start to make something and they don't know what it's going to be at the end of the process. They, it's a, it's a journey of discovery to get to the end. And what they, 
what they set out to do might be totally different from the destination. It might end up being something completely different at the end than what they thought they would make. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, like that's the way it works for me. But when I explain this to this room of, you know, orchestral musicians, they just got so offended that, well, we're artists, you know, we're artists too. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not saying, you know, you have artistry. I'm not saying you're not artists. I'm just saying, think about the difference between craft and the create the creative part of art making you know to make something that without you doesn't exist you know that part of it and they boy they did not get that they they got so angry at me <laughs> they thought i was just you know <laughs> putting them way down and i wasn't at all i was holding i was putting them up saying you're the you know the the best example of our craft you know the what you what you're doing but they didn't see it that way uh but yeah maybe we don't have enough words because that thing you touched on makes so much sense to me that there are people who are extremely gifted. They have a talent. They can see a photograph of Abraham Lincoln and draw you a pencil sketch, probably with like a mechanical pencil or just a simple like number two pencil that is eerily similar. But that person might also, that's their thing. Oh, I can draw, I'm, isn't this neat? It's kind of a novelty. I can do this. But how do you approach life? What 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 drives you? What makes you want to? To me, when people are trying something artistic, they're challenging those things. Well, this has been established. This has been done. There have been sketches of Abraham Lincoln. Not interested. Thinking of the impressionists, going, yeah, yeah, everyone's doing portraits. What if we got a little weird with it? What if we changed how we looked at what paint can do when it goes on a canvas? I love doing the junk show. I, I had so much fun doing that because it really appealed to that mentality. People that were interested in like, that's how you and I know each other. The 16 second story right. of, I did your podcast and I was like, oh, I have this thing. And you immediately like, that sounds great. And then you did a score for a few of them. And it was really fun yeah. to collaborate because you'd be like, what, what, what do I do? I'm like, the idea is that there are no rules, but certain things will feel right and others won't. Like I would maybe give you a note to say, ah, here maybe we could pick up this tension because this is happening. But all the visuals that would have happened were put together by people just making up stories and then animators doing whatever they wanted. And I love that freedom of something's going to feel right. You do have a little bit of a deadline. All the perfect things in art. No stakes. A little bit of a deadline to push you to finish it. You'll feel good at the end when you're done. And it's totally up to you. Those parameters there, you know, Abraham Lincoln has so many parameters. It has to look like the photo. If you just watch this and you put a photo of Abraham Lincoln and then you just draw like some sort of Chevy vehicle, you know, what do you think? You're like, what's going on here? This is my version of Abraham Lincoln. You're like, oh, okay. I don't know if I get what you're doing there, but it's di- it's unique. And then you maybe that's an art exhibition of all the presidents and the vehicle that was conjured in that person's head that they and they drew them so that would be something oh i'm really pursuing this and you would understand that artistically like yeah at least that is something other than just a perfect drawing of abraham lincoln because everyone goes look how talented so-and-so is like yeah talented for sure but they also i don't i just don't think this little voice occurs to them I think they would stand in line and go right through life doing what they're told and have a 401k and all the safety measures of, but I'm also an artist. Like, ah, but you're not. You don't hear it the same way. You're, you're good at something. You have a skill, but you, I don't, that would be so offensive to like an orchestra person because they go, hey, I'm an artist. Like, what'd you create? You're really good at doing something that someone else wrote a long time ago. What did sure. you make? 
they're artists of interpretation. Mm-hmm. You know, they they interpret. That's that's their that's their artistry is in in their interpretation and and their skill in their instrument. That's that's artistry. But that's but to me, that's what I'm saying with craftsmanship is your skill at the instrument being able to, you know, play it at the highest level. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. There's a piece. Um, there's a, a great composer, Herbert Brun, who is teacher of one of my teachers, and we often quote him. Uh, he wrote a lot about music, and one of the things that he said was, you know, to be a creator of something, you need to be able to make something that without you wouldn't exist. So if you're just recreating something else, that, that doesn't really count. You have to, whatever makes up you as an individual, your interest, your perspective, your experiences, your... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. You're with all the things that make up you, and then you can make something that, from your perspective, from your ne- unique place, um, no one else can come up with that. Only you can do that, and that's where that's where I think the real seed of art making is right there. Yeah. If you can find that, if you can find that thing that makes you and your perspective and your interests and your peculiarities, whatever it is that makes you you, and produce something, that's it. You know, that's where it's at. I love the the um, cohesion of the two, the the mixture when that happens. And it, I think that's the most rare. I think I would identify myself as someone who uh, maybe the second part of wanting to like challenge things uh, or s- look at things differently, have a different lens to try to what could I make? But but not the like gifted ability of perfectly recreating Abraham Lincoln or playing uh, Mozart exactly how it's supposed to sound. Th- that's just a gift that very few people are given, and it is unbelievable. It's it sounds so terrible to like diminish. Like you're not an artist. Like you are gifted. But there's a difference. I think oh, yeah. maybe needing a new word for. But what is that thing when those two things join together? Someone who has a very unique voice, a gift, but they don't just sing cover songs. Instead. They create music that never existed before. And I think it's a Jerry Garcia quote, and I'm not that big of a Grateful Dead fan, but like you don't want to just be different. You want it, you want to sound like the only one to ever do it. Yeah, and I think no, that's, that's great. A, yeah, that's such a pursuit of you can't think of anyone else doing that. That is so quintessentially and uniquely that person or that thing. Yeah. And that if you have a gift and you're just doing karaoke and blowing people away, great. But what if you applied that to I can't even describe what's happening. No one has done this. That's such an achievement, I think. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Um, it's tough because, you know, the the training of what's what what I sort of have take issue with in in our sort of like the landscape of music and musicians and how we sort of come up is that we're not trained to be creative. Mm-hmm. We're we're trained to be, you know, interpreters. That the composer is the creative one. The composer is the one that's, you know, doing the act, the creative act. And musicians, we're recreating those things. We're interpreting those things. We're developing our physical skills and our, you know, expressive capabilities on our instrument or using our voice. But we're not the ones actually creating it. And I think this is part of the part of the problem in how it like in higher education and how we're educating students is. And one of the things that I try to do within my little my tiny little world of my percussion students is I I will make them make things. You know, I'll, I'll have them compose your own piece for put it on your recital, your senior recital, one piece 
can you if you if you feel that you can you should try that and you'd be surprised at how many musicians especially like classically trained musicians are terrified to create something yeah they're much more comfortable don't just give me the music on the page and i'll you know i've got my my chops and i'll just i'll you know shred it down um but actually to come up with something it's a whole other thing and and we're just not by and large musicians they're practicing like musicians um in the classical sense are not trained to be creative like if you go and visit the art department they're doing all kinds of crazy things over there they're making things all the time and that's their that's their practice and that's the difference between the two sort of worlds is what music practices and what you know artistic practices on on the other side um, but it'd be nice if we could bring merge those together you know <laughs> because i think we'd have much more interesting musicians in the world you know um if we're if we're all engaging in that creative that creative act but that's that's the interesting thing about music you've got composers and you've got you know you've got the interpreters and you need both you know yeah the you really need both and that's that's another thing is i love to work with composers and bring their visions to life too but because i do the creative part i'm i'm i think i make a good partner for somebody who's a composer that maybe doesn't know anything about percussion and i'll show them oh well you can do this and you could try that and you know then we end up with something that's pretty interesting you know from there they have a completely unique perspective that they're coming at this this from and i have the expertise as a craftsperson in this field of percussion and we can come together and we can make something so that that's another way that we could come together but the whole creative act i think is the piece that's missing a little bit in our music education system it seems uh kind of impossible to have it be i don't know if cohesive is the right word and i probably lack the knowledge to have the right terminology as far as music goes but a thing that comes up i feel like i've had this discussion on the show a number of times is making things accessible so that so many people can make music. Did the person who created that technology or that device do it to make money? Or did they say, everyone has a voice and they have some little thing churning inside them that they want to let out. And I've made this mechanism, a keyboard or something that can just play a metronome and then they can goof around. It might not even be keys. It might just be squares they hit and just make beats or whatever it is to, to let themselves out. And yeah. then you might go, ah, and you've been helping me. We've been making the, these fake country songs. Slide yeah. guitar and fiddle are like impossible to do that with. They're like, un, you can't replicate them. And that there's something about that that is, you can fake a lot of stuff as humans. You can duplicate it and you can synthesize it. But certain things, you have to know the instrument. You have to know how to play it. And yeah. a kid in their basement, their bedroom, wherever they are, that has no knowledge of music history or theory or anything make some music and they put it out online and it takes off and you listen and you go, that is really good. The, 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 if you call it two sides, one side, like the sort of artist side is getting itself out there. There's this other side that maybe would be the, the knowledge, the music history, the familiarity with in a perfect world, everyone would be doing their own thing, playing their own songs and they'd be able to reference, Oh, right. That's from this, era that sort of drum structure is yeah i'm referencing that here i'm glad you caught that that's what i'm as opposed to you having to go hey hey hey, i love your music but that beat that you used is an exact replica of this you, you need to know music before you start making music because you just ripped off something it's going to cost you money so how do you find that perfect world where everyone knows everything that's been done a database of just 
all the music that's ever made. I know it. And now here's my little foray into making my own um, contribution. Yep, exactly. That's that's the hard part. I mean, and that's um, yeah, that's that also is what we're trying to do with education. Right. And it's just hard to cover. It's just hard to do everything for every, you know, it's it's hard to give a student the whole history of music from, you know, the the beginning of sound <laughs> to <laughs> yesterday, you know, it's that's really hard to do that. But yeah, you're right. But that's why we need, you know, that's why students need to to study with teachers and and you know, we it's sort of that that that's really important. But yeah, that's that's a tough one. That's that's tough. I had a student do that. He came in and he was playing something and he was playing basically pop music on the vibraphone and he thought that he was really doing something unique and i was like well here's this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece you know <laughs> here are all these pieces that are doing exactly what you're doing it's kind of the exact same situation you described and he was like oh he thought that he had really come up with something unique you know, yeah like, not really i'm sorry to say but there's all these other things you know but yeah yeah that's a sad feeling to just like watch this little bird just stand on the edge of its cage and be like, I'm really going to fly. And you're like, but before you head out, uh, just <laughs> let me snip those wigs just a little. There you go. Yep, yep. But you kind of have to, to know like you're, you're a little, you're getting a little ahead of yourself. You have to, and it sucks that, why do we require that? What if everyone was recreating the same thing and in a hundred years, someone's doing a song that's very similar to like a Beyonce song currently None of us will be alive. There'd be these, these. I'm old school. I was born in 2103, and I've got to tell you uh, that my grandfather used to tell me about this woman Beyonce, and you're stealing directly from her. It, life's going to go on theoretically, assuming these water shortages and the climate, et cetera, doesn't just destroy us <laughs> and everything around. Uh, and who cares? It's just going to keep replicating, or, or maybe it's going to turn into this bizarre funk uh, future music that's just tones and you know when they do that now in movies or something they go into the future and it's just kind of house electronica like very busy industrial kind of crunchy because I think there's just so many sounds into that like that's gotta be what the future is it's not gonna go back to classical is that gonna circle all the way around where people are like life is too busy and too nuts let's just come back to pleasant and calm two or three instruments very beautifully played. I don't know. It'll be interesting. But on one hand, I feel like, yeah, who cares? Right now we're in this phase of like, this person did that and this person did that and you're stealing from it and you're borrowing and maybe we shouldn't care. Well, right now it's it's sort of impossible to know what's going on because there's so many people. There are no more gatekeepers, right? There's no gatekeepers anymore. Anybody can make anything and put it out on the internet. So it's impossible to kind of know what the heck is happening, you know? Like what's what... I don't know. I know what I'm doing. I know what, you know, I know the history of it to a certain point, but then once we get into this, this digital age that we're in now with the internet, it's like, I don't know how historians are going to look back on this time and be able to identify what were the trends, what were the important, what were the important movements that are happening right now? We could look back to the 1950s and say for sure, okay, you know, here, here are some important luminaries of this field, but now... I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's I don't know. It's going to be hard. Yeah, yeah there's this. Um, it, not to change the subject, but like you, I was listening to your conversation with um, Jeff. Was it Jeff Tice? Yeah, I'm saying the name right. Mm -hmm. um, and he was talking about. Uh, you, you guys were talking about. Um, you know, 
being a famous artist or, you know, being recognized or whatever. And it, it made me think of this idea, which I would love to hear you respond to, which is uh, this composer friend of mine, Mark Applebaum, has this saying, and he says, you know, there, there are all these scenarios in, in your in what can happen to you as an artist. The first scenario is you, um, you know, you work really hard at your, your craft, your art, whatever it is that you're doing. And then sometime in the, the twilight of your career, you're discovered, you're recognized and you become very famous and you enjoy all the, you know, success from having done that. The other scenario is you're doing your thing, you're working, you're being creative, you're practicing your craft, your art, whatever. And then sometime mid-career, someone discovers you and you become famous and there's, you know, you have uh, celebrations of your work at your 50th and your 75th and there's all these, you know, and you continue to be famous for forever and you're remembered as the years go by. Then there's another one where you doing your thing, you work, you do your thing, you work in obscurity, um, you die, no one knows of your work, and then 200 years in the future, someone finds your thing and they they discover you and all of a sudden you become world famous for doing this thing that you've done. And he says, these are all scenarios that could happen to a creative person, but none of them happens unless you're doing the thing, right? Unless you're doing the practice and doing the work. So the most important thing that we shouldn't be concerned about how others are going to perceive it or any of that other thing, you should just do your thing, the thing that you think is right for you to do and do that thing. And, you know, if, you know, there's all other things about being famous too. Like, you know, some, the, the people that are really famous and have like really great work that definitely happens, but there's also, and I'm sure this probably is true in any field of people who are really famous, but you know, their work is not great, but for whatever reason, they're good at business or they're good at marketing or whatever, and they become famous. Um, it's impossible to predict. But so his idea was don't worry about any of that stuff. Just do, do the work. Like that's it. Do the work, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. I, my thoughts on that would be the exact same. Uh, Demorge Brown is a good friend of mine who was, uh, on this show a few years ago and anyone in the kind of LA Alt filmmaking scene would know Demorge and be like, he's just been around for the longest time making the silliest, weirdest, most bizarre things. When Channel 101 was really uh, taking off and kind of getting a lot of attention, Demorge was like at the epicenter of that. And everyone just knows, like, oh, yeah, Demorge, you, oh, you got Demorge, it's got to be good, that kind of thing. And he, by talking to him, you know, he's not a household name, he's not fabulously wealthy, uh, just gets by. And, but he was like, everyone's so worried about those things. Just do the work. Just do it. I love a story of a janitor who quietly uh, passes away and they open up the apartment and there's a hundred thousand paintings. They just painted every night, wanted a job they didn't have to take home, wanted some joy of just sitting alone, painting. I like when someone, again, maybe a janitor, passes away and has a collection of art because art mattered to them. I remember visiting some family in the old or in the Midwest, not the old West. And uh, it was like a, I don't know, someone that was someone's uncle that I was loosely related to or something like that. Just quiet Midwestern folk. And uh, we finished dinner. And you want to see the Hammer collection? I was like, oh, sure. Think, and kind of 
I'm a kid at this point, and you can tell this adult who's probably in their 60s is kind of embarrassed to, eh, honey, you didn't have to bring up the hammer collection. And we go out and flip on a light in this garage, and there's just this wall with all these hammers hanging up, but some of them are really fascinating. And this wow. person just enjoyed collecting bizarre hammers, and I was just looking in, seeing the hammers, but also being like, I like that this person found a thing they like. They're kind of embarrassed to share it, but they are clearly passionate about collecting these hammers and displaying them. That always made more sense to me than the idea of pursuing fame. I think a lot of people, they just get turned into personalities. Oh, you're funny to be on a panel show, especially through the lens of comedy. You might have had something funny to say. We don't reference anyone's jokes anymore. We don't really think of like, oh, so-and-so's doing that. You you could get on stage tonight and do word-for-word word, uh, Bill Cosby. That's a bad example. <laughs> a Richard... <laughs> A Richard Pryor joke, and no one would catch it. No, I mean, maybe a few, you know, uh, old timers in the back. Hey, 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 I saw that, that special. What are you doing? Otherwise, that just you, everyone's doing their own thing, but living under this guise of, I think, this self induced kind of torture in a weird way that, oh, yeah. it's got to happen because I either have to be famous or I have to be discovered later or it's got to matter. We're in this solar system that is in the depths of nothingness that is going to burn out the star that we orbit or the, the star that we kind of are circling that we do orbit uh, is going to potentially the galaxy, all of it burn out, just disappear. None of this really matters in the way that we think it does, where if they discovered your work when you're 70 and you went, Oh, great. In a hundred years, if they were still referencing you great in a million years, no chance. It never mattered. It's just hopefully you lived a life that you enjoyed. There are people that passed away today, right as we're talking, that lived a quiet, simple life, and hopefully they liked it. But I think if people are doing art that they and they don't like it, I'm so sick of being so broke, I'm sick of staying in these condos, or I'm sick of traveling, I'm sick of checking into crummy hotels, whatever it is, you got to stop because hopefully you like the pursuit. If it's the other side, I just want some security, could you be happy getting on flights to go pitch someone a sales thing and sell them insurance or real estate? Or if money's the only thing that matters, could you be happy doing that? I think everyone's having to make those decisions. I'm going to just yeah. do art and I'm going to toil away at it and people are eventually going to notice. And like, I hope you're happy while you're doing it because if you're not, that is a miserable way to go through life. Yeah. Well, and there's the myth of the, you know, the tortured artist, right? I mean, that drives me crazy. The The whole idea that you have to, somehow suffer in order to make good art that's just to me uh seems like the the exact opposite of how one can be productive and creative like you know if you are so miserable all the time how could you have the brain space to make anything you know and i i, I get it there have been tortured artists in the past we, we have great work by people who were tortured souls or in some way endured some some terrible hardships and like that's fine but for most of us, um, you know, if 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 I were uh, struggling to, you know, make ends meet and and had a lot of hardships or was sick or whatever it was, I would find it really difficult to make work and to do good work, you know. So I think people don't. I mean, I think there's this idea in the sort of popular imagination that oh, all artists must suffer to to create good work, and I I don't believe that at all. I think the opposite <laughs> is true. I think you've got to be, like, you got to have 
a little bit, you have to be in a comfortable place. You've got to have, you know, certain things in place to allow you to have the, the free brain space to be creative and to do those things. I don't know. I don't, I don't buy into that tortured artist thing. It, I guess it's how you would define torture. Are you mentally ill or are you, I would say like periods of my uh, artistic life have been extremely arduous just from a financial perspective and that that is somewhat controllable i suppose but like did that drive or help me make things no it just if i had i always felt like if i had succumbed to doing something that gave me just a little bit more financial security i'd lose the motivation i'd go oh, this is kind of nice i know myself well enough to like if i can stay home and order takeout and not sweat it i'm not going to be out like hoofing it to an open mic I know that. So I would always keep myself in a place where like, I got to go do this because I want this to be the thing that drives it forward. Yeah. But making the things that I've made visually and stuff, if I had more money, it would have been a million times easier. It didn't impact like the creative component of it at, at all, other than it's what I was thinking about when I was likely doing something I didn't really want to be doing. And I think you need that. So that kind of torture of like, whoo, I can disappear into this imaginary place if if people are living in this current state of the world and they're not in some way tortured, it's never going to happen. It's just so brutal right now. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, my life's too comfortable. I can't produce any art. I think everyone right now is more compelled than ever to make stuff. Hopefully, yeah. I think I guess I guess my perspective is somewhat skewed, but because the kind of art that I do is not at all commercially viable, <laughs> so <laughs> so there's no chance of me going out and you know going to an open mic and doing what I do and actually making money from it. So you know, so my academic uh, teaching career is what sustains my uh, financial life. Whereas on that allows me then the space to do this really weird stuff that I'm into. Uh, this that's not commercially viable art, but it's what I love to do and what you know what speaks to me and what I want to make. So I, I suppose my my perspective is definitely skewed because of that, you know that that situation. Um, but you know the the the, la the other piece of this that I I wanted to mention is, um, and this this is because this uh, this issue is not going away. I tend to be. I tend to not want to separate what I do as an artist from the world that I inhabit, right? So I want to do things. I've just found that this is something that I can do and that I enjoy doing is making pieces that are relevant to society, to relevant to issues that are happening. And uh, between the time that we spoke last time and now was the Uvalde shooting. Uh, and the the most recent project that i did was this project called trigger artists respond to gun violence and i commissioned several composers to write pieces and i wrote some pieces that went on this and it's coming out on albany records we don't have a release date yet but it's all in the design phase and this was all done this was several years ago that this project started and we were uh al adi and i that my partner with the innocence he he wanted to be part of this too and so we started talking about, well, you know, we have this piece, The Innocence. What other issue is going on right now that we want to reflect on? And I said, well, the thing that affects me the most in my day-to-day -day life, being a professor at a university where anybody can walk on our campus carrying a gun because we live in Texas. And now 
apparently anywhere <laughs> this can happen. You could just tote your gun anywhere. Um, but, you know, they made campus carry a thing. People could walk on campus and openly carry a firearm. Uh, my son is in, you know, will be in second grade this next year. That's the same age as these children who were killed. Uh, and at Sandy Hook, same thing. So this is like ringing like an alarm bell in my head all the time. Um, and I said, so that's what I want to, that's what I want to reflect on. And it, sure enough, it's as relevant now as ever. Um, but that's, that's kind of where my brain is these days is I don't want to separate my work as a creative person from the issues that I feel are important. And, and there's no reason that I have to, I, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with artists that that don't want to engage in so, in political issues or socio-political things, that's totally fine and valid, of course. But it's just where where I am is, I, I don't, I, there's things that I really care about and I, I want to be able to talk about those through my work and hopefully I can do it in a way that's not didactic and like, you know, preaching to the choir, which was a challenge with this trigger project, by the way. Um, it was really hard to find a, an angle to discuss that issue through these pieces that wasn't like preaching to the choir, like, you know, who's going to come to a concert, you know, uh, that's, uh, anti, anti-gun or, or, you know, this, like kind of this world, who's, who's going to come to that from the other side, you know, yeah, you know, it's, they're not just, they're not going to engage with it. So that was a little bit problematic, but we, we did it anyway. And, um, some of the composers had some really interesting, ways one one composer his name is danny clay and uh he's a great composer but he's also an elementary school teacher and has been for years and he had the idea of taking this to his uh to his students not about gun violence and that's a whole other thing like talking about violence with your children that's a whole other thing but he had the idea of from their perspective like how do we deal with our anger you know how do we cope with when we feel angry, what, what can we do? And that's how he approached his piece. So he, uh, some of the kids wrote some of the texts that were spoken in the piece. And one of them was a letter to their, to their self about like how to cope with being an a- angry and under, you know, sort of being compassionate to yourself when you're, when you're in these places. Um, anyway, that, that was his angle in on it. And, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. Another composer had the idea to turn back to our discussion about like percussion and objects, she had the idea to turn objects into sort of beautiful sounds. So her idea was to take these bullet shell casings, the empty casings and make these chimes out of them. Oh yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So I got all these, I bought all these empty brass shells and hung them and made wind chimes out of them and play, you know, play them with my hands and stuff. And that was kind of that piece was, was that. And it turns out to be really beautiful, you know, these beautiful, you know, jingling, tinkly sounds and uh, turns out to be really lovely. But it's object of this this violence. And so you're, you kind of have this dissonance between the object that you're looking at and playing with, with the beauty that's coming out of it, you know. Anyway. But yeah. Other no, I, I was, uh, I thought of that project a few times and I thought, ah, the, you know, I don't want to turn the conversation to seeming something kind of dark or, you know, bringing that up, knowing that you're so close to it in Texas 
and you know having a young son and but I think what you described is like such a positive way about it and in a weird way it made me think of because I agree with you I think connectivity to the world we live in one it's almost inescapable especially drawing comics if you're trying to create a character and you can just draw a thought bubble next to a circle and call it whatever you want but to really give it emotive properties or is something that oh okay that this blob or this thing is is looking angry or frustrated or uh, menacing it needs some version of something relatively anthropomorphic you know you people maybe put like these antennae with eyeballs on the end and that's a pretty common one or a mouth or 10 mouths or eight noses or but in some way you have to make you have to live by the boundaries that we are in this current world you, you it's almost impossible to convey an idea without somehow touching on ah okay i guess it needs something similar to eyes cuz it's furrowing its brow what can i make it look like a brow could it just have this oh you know you see that all the time in animation over and over how did they get that thing to be somewhat evocative or somewhat communicative it can't just be a rigid object with no personality so you have to have an entry point and virtually everything we make in some way kind of does that like oh i'd love to be up there just talking about philosophical things that exist in dimensions well beyond ours but the crowd would be like what uh, this song is written for a, a bunch of aliens on habeas b which is a planet i made up at the furthest end of a <laughs> like okay we're here you know we speak the same language as you we have the same our ears are designed in the same way that yours are so we're going to hear these tones maybe different than the people on habeas b so we we are confined to this but i if we're looking at it ultra positively if you're an artist in switzerland and it's gorgeous and it's clean and it's it's beautiful mountains and flowing water and you could probably think of a variety of locations around the world tahiti etc how not you're tortured, but how put upon or how impacted by the world are you? If you're in the United States, there's a lot. It's just the right mix of like, it's not so overwhelming that you're, you can't even think about art because you're desperately trying to just get water. You're desperately trying to just stay alive one more day. It's not that. If we had a post-apocalyptic world where roving gangs of like Mad Max style people, you wouldn't be making art. You'd be running around going, oh, we were so lucky. But when the internet was still up, we were so lucky when we could share stuff and be like, hey, this sucks, right? So in that way, all these shootings and all this stuff, it's the only way we can process it is by, hey, this sucks, right? And our own artistic ways of expressing that over and over. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I have a friend of mine who had the theory that, um, the reason that there are so many great writers out of um, the East Coast was because of the weather. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so many, so many weeks and months of dark, cold weather, and that that influences this sort of inner, you know, deep psychological. You have to kind of turn inward in those times. You're not able to just go out and enjoy the sunshine all the time, and um, that kind of similar to that idea. But yeah, no, I, I, I that's that's a great point that you make. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to turn things dark, but it sure it sure hit home uh, really close. I mean, Uvalde is only about three hours from here, and uh, it's a town, you know, even smaller than the town we live in. Um, and uh, that 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 could happen somewhere like that is terrifying. Yeah, because that happened, and then the very I was uh, I was in uh, there was an award ceremony at the elementary school where my son goes. And we went up there to the school and it was like the entire 
kindergarten and first grade in the auditorium, like all the kids in the auditorium together and, and, and a bunch of parents. And I had the thought, like, this, this would be terrible if someone came in here with a gun. This would be the worst possible environment for that. And then the very next day was Uvalde, like Ugh. the very next day. And then there was one more day of school. <laughs> After Uvalde, there was one more day of school, and we had to take him and drop him off at the school the next day. And I almost didn't take him. I almost wanted to say, like, can we just keep him home? It's the last day of school. But, you know, it was important um, to, you know, we can't re we couldn't react out of fear. Uh, there's so many, there's a whole other discussion we could have about like how to talk to your kids about violence. But like the school district sent out a thing about that from, from the school counselor that had some resources about like how to talk to your kids about what's in the news. And one of the things that it said was to reassure them of their safety. And so we said, yeah, you know, you, you know what to do. Um, you're safe in your school and you take them and you drop them off at school, even though I, worry that he's not safe you know but you yeah. have to just go so i went he went d dropped him off that day and then he had a it was the last day of school so they were doing his class party and parents were invited and uh, the teacher told me after i got there she was like yeah we were one of the only classes that were allowed to have parents because the school district said no visitors on campus that day because it was the day after this shooting um and but she said I had already invited parents to come, so they told me that I, that our parents for this class could come. So like we were the only parents in the school. It was really just a strange way to end the school year. But um, anyway, you can cut all that out if that's too dark for your program. But it's just nothing. It's, ever a, reali too it's dark. a reality. It's, of it's the world what we live in right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I was in a fairly nice neighborhood the other day, and as I drove through, I saw this building that was pretty uh, impenetrable. And then I looked, and there's a sign on the side that said, you know, blah, 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 school. I think it was an elementary school. And I was like, what? Did they turn, like, an old prison into a school? This is so – it's fully closed off. You don't see playgrounds. Like, normally you drive by a school and you say, oh, there's there's a, the wall where they would play handball or something, and it's usually painted with a mascot or something very elementary school-like. And instead, it's just closed off. And then it took me a few seconds to realize, oh, that's probably the best school in this area because <laughs> – it's a fortress. Our kids yeah. like, have to go. Oh, oh, honey, we got to get into that fortress school. That's the, and that's such a sad, shitty thought that is so real, because yeah. you're just over and over letting kids go. I have a friend that moved to Canada because he was like, up here they don't have active shooter drills for right. elementary kids. That sucks. It's so brutal and satirical or whatever you're gonna do to create art. Like South Park just has anytime they show the school, there's just gunshots happening inside over and over, just machine guns. <laughs> And that seems so dark and so, but in reality, like, yeah, we are just kind of ignoring it. We're driving by schools knowing like that's, it's going to keep happening and yeah. everyone's pulling their hair out and expressing these very sad, frustrated thoughts over and over and yelling. And we watched this movie recently called the, um, the big year. It's about birding, Steve Martin, Jack Black, um, Owen Wilson. It's a wonderful cast. Yeah. And not the greatest movie, but it's so pleasant. No guns. And I've since, like, think of every shooter, the photo of them being hauled away, detained. Somewhere there's a photo of an, a movie star in Hollywood, many of them, not just, like, the big top, you know, actors, so many people, probably people that are friends, uh, dressed up like that. 
we glorify it in a way. Like now I get so sick of movies coming out. They threatened his family, a life he tried to leave. They keep calling him back. Not interested at all. I have no interest. Highly trained, highly skilled. What? Zero interest in us continuously glorifying this. He was out for justice or whatever. Just the same guns that are used in these shootings, the same way we're, we're horrified by this violence that's happening to children. And at the same time, he was a man with a cause over and over and over. I just hate it. And I want more movies to be like The Big Year about birds. They're pleasant. There are plenty of stories out there that don't involve a man with something to prove. I have just had it. So I'm, I'm made, that's my concerted effort going forward. I'd like to have the next few years of my life involve movies with none of that type of violence. Because yeah. that's how we're inviting it in. We're allowing it to be in and making this weird disconnect. of Like, oh, that's terrifying. Hey, you want to watch this? It's about an ex-CIA guy that's uh, put against the wall and has no choice but to. <laughs> like, no, let's stop watching those. I hate them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was joking with... Um my wife about this like i've cornered the market on depressing subjects for uh for making pieces you know we've got <laughs> wrongful imprisonment i've got gun violence and then she was joking i've been i've like this fascination with uh germany l- lately in the last in the last year year or so and reading about um post-war it all started I-, I won't go down this rabbit hole because i know it's it's getting late but like uh i read this book called learning from the germans by susan neiman and it was all about comparing what happened post-war in Germany and how they, uh, there's even a term, that uh, a German term, Vergangenheits, I can't remember the German word, but it's like, it means working off the past. And it's a term that Germans coined to deal with their past and, and specifically with the Nazi era and post-war and all of this stuff. And so it compares that with um, Reconstruction, and civil rights in the U.S. and how we didn't actually work off the past in this country in the same way that they did in Germany. And part of the difference was that Germany was a conquered nation where we weren't. I mean, the South was conquered, but then very quickly let right back into government, you know, and many of them in the same positions that they left. And so anyway, it was this fascinating book. I got whole interested in post-war Germany. And so now, and then I started reading all these books about the Holocaust. And she's like, why don't you find, um, like, <laughs> isn't there something that you could, that's not so depressing? Like, you know, you've done prison, you know, exoneration and then gun violence. And now you're reading books about the Holocaust. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> why are you, why can't you find a nice, a nice subject to make a piece about? It's like, so. Music anyway. resolves. Maybe your brain is... In some way, you know, I like to finish a piece of furniture or I like to conclude, you know, I don't always want to abandon everything. I think with like big nothingness, the stand up thing I made that it is kind of abandoned. I did have to just pencils down. It's done. There's always more to be the conclusion where music. Ah, oh, this resolved really nicely. Boom. Oh, it's oh, that feels good to the brain to resolve these horrific atrocities, you know, these these things that maybe that's how your mind is like, what can I do to in some way, maybe it's cathartic to process it, to yeah. channel it artistically. Because if you were to come up like, this is my new piece, it's about birding. I'd be psyched. You know, I love a calm birding sort of thing, but uh, I'd also be like, this doesn't feel like John. It's got to have some teeth to it. Well, what I was thinking of when I started into this whole thing with Germany was, you know, at some point, like at what point did 
a, a Jewish person in, in Germany, and, you know, when Hitler comes to power in 33, at what point did they decide to leave, the ones that were able to leave? And, and you know, at what point did they decide to make, be, make the brave choice of leaving everything behind? And what would I have done in that? What, what, what would I have done? Would I have been able to see the writings on the wall and, and just abandon everything that I knew and got the heck out of there? I don't know if I would have been able to do that. I don't know if I would have been brave enough or be in a place where I could do that. It's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating, horrifying to think about, you know, and that it just kind of keeps resonating for me in this idea of how, uh, how things changed in Germany, how they went from being, uh, Nazi Germany to now being one of the most, you know, um, liberal democracies in, in the world. It's fascinating that, that shift and how how does that happen? How do people come to terms with that? And there's all the idea about generational trauma, you mm -hmm. know, that always and collective memory, like how we choose to remember things in our past. Um, anyway, I'm fascinated with that whole thing, and I there's something there, and I'm I'm really excited about going to Germany. I'm I'm writing a a proposal now to do a Fulbright in Germany uh, cool. in, a, in a couple of years. Um, so stay tuned for <laughs> for some some thoughts on that down the road but uh it's totally fascinating right now for me that's yeah. awesome that's so cool to hear man i i like the i like when it, when things don't weigh people down to the point of um losing a full momentum or you know that that energy to push ahead to find something a new horizon to go climb like we talked about so that that is really great to hear and so I'm glad we made this happen. I've got it recorded onto the cloud, plus it's happening cool. here. And did you settle on a name? Because you're in Intercepts, the new podcast that I'll be doing eventually coming out. I've written a ton of them and recorded a bunch, and you've even recorded a song as um, you're like this cover band. In theory, we're still working on it. I think that's a really funny idea. Um, I was actually just working on that before we got started with the podcast because I knew I was going to be down here with all the setup, so I... I, I'm tweaking that. It's all. It's almost done. I'll. I'll get it done. Cool. Yeah. yeah there's soon. no rush. And I have. I'm gonna send you a new script where there's a band playing in the background of one of the sketches. And like, it'd be funny if it was the High Wire Boys putting on a show. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so strange to talk about. I think people think what are, what is being referenced what are they here? Talking about <laughs> <laughs> Lane Wests and the High Wire Boys. Yeah. yeah. So good. That's funny. All right. Well, John Lane, um, Trigger, where can that be? That's coming out on what record company did you say? So it's coming out on Albany Records, and it's in the design phases right now. We don't have a release date yet, but uh, that should be coming out soon. Uh, the film, The Innocence, if I'm doing plugs, the film yeah. is The Innocence by Wojciech Lorenk. The Innocence or Innocence as in like plural noun? Innocence, uh, C E N T S. Okay. Not like not loss of innocence, but the yeah gotcha. innocent yeah. Uh, anyway, that film Wojciech Lorenk, who's a fantastic filmmaker. Uh, he has some other films that are really great too. But um, that one should is in making film festival circuits right now. I, I don't know when it'll be streaming, but in the next year or so. Yeah, and we're. We're touring. We're doing some touring with the Innocents. We're going to be in Washington D.C. this next year, and uh, Virginia, uh, Ohio. Few few tours lined up. So, yeah. excellent. 
Well, I look forward to that and um, forward to collaborating more. And I appreciate what you do, like your view on things. And thanks for sharing a bit of time and, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. I mean, what amazing projects to at least feel like after the fact, you know, especially like you were just talking about visiting Germany, everyone has that feeling. I didn't go and do anything for the kids, the detention centers separated from their parents at the border. It kind of put in perspective for me, like I probably wouldn't have done much in these other times of horrific atrocities being perpetuated by humans upon other humans, but I'd like to think I would. And it's nice to know that you are at least doing something. So that's, that is awesome. Well, thank you for saying so. I, you know, I, I've sort of embraced this idea of being an advocate, you know, that's, that's where it's at. So, and Hey, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do these more fun, lighthearted things with the, <laughs> with the country song and oh, the, happy the junk show. I loved doing that so much. I would stay up late into the night working on those junk show things after everything else was done. And, uh, I just had so much fun with that. All right, is there going to be another? Is junk show going to happen again? Is it coming no, back? No, it just that, ended that... very unceremoniously, which is such a That's bummer. Tough. It's just yeah, the pandemic was kind of the final. I was I never made any money from it, which is never my impulse to do it. But it was starting to become like, man, this is a pretty heavy lift every month to like book it and schedule everything and record people and coordinate with the animators, and it was all possible because of volunteers. All the, everyone that helped was just volunteering to help. So it was like this perfect little confluence of all the right impulses, I feel like. And people, so you know, yeah, it was, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. Just the way the stories came together with the animation. Ah, it's just, it's so great. Thanks. So. Yeah. I, I'm very happy with it and proud that I did it and I'm bummed that there wasn't like a big send off or anything, but again, the universe is going to just implode or disappear collapse on itself doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks dave well i i hope you liked it and again apologies for the delay just kind of running out of time these days uh but doing my best i when i have free time i've been writing sketches and recording them with friends and i'll be sharing a little bit more of that stuff on the patreon i'll put this uh found footage or the original take with john in there as well and uh, yeah again sorry that it's just been hard to keep space cave on track recently and i appreciate how patient you've been if you're listening to this and if you especially if you're supporting the show on patreon uh you're just a saint because i'm doing my best but i definitely am not keeping it up to the standard that i started with i knew when professor blastoff ended that i needed to keep a lot of those habits in place because you get used to the routine and the rhythm of doing things weekly and uh, the pandemic threw that off, having a baby threw that off. So there are a number of things where it's just challenging, and I apologize. I am definitely making excuses, and I'll, it'll get better. I've had people reschedule. People have gotten COVID. People have canceled at the last minute. Uh, these are just a list of excuses. Uh, the power went out when John and I were recording the first time, so that delayed things a bunch, and then I couldn't get that uh, footage or that media. And now I'm fumbling for words because I'm a little short on sleep as it is. So anyway, I won't ramble on. I And maybe, though, I hadn't heard this song until recently, and I thought some of the things John and I talked about in here, talking about art and what matters and pretending there's some permanence to things and how people get caught up in wondering how they're going to be remembered and who cares? In some ways, it feels like this existence is a choose-your-own-adventure. If you get really into 
whatever it might be, seeing as many state parks as you want or countries as you want. You can find a way to make that happen. If you're really into politics and setting rules and getting people to vote, you can pursue that as hard as you want. Art and feeling like a tormented artist and or a very successful person or uh, someone that's just beleaguered. If you're lucky enough to pursue those things and you're not tormented by mental illness or a succession or a series of bad events that take away some of that spirit, get out there and do it. I hope you're enjoying being alive because if you're listening to this right now, you're alive and I hope you're enjoying it. If listening to this show brings you some joy, great. I'll try to keep making more of them. If it doesn't, get out there and do something that does. We don't know what it is, but you can make it as enjoyable as you'd like to. If it's bumming you out all the time, hopefully you can find new things that make you a little bit excited about how bizarre it is to have consciousness and all those things. So I think John and I talked about that a little bit, and I feel like this song touches on that as well. And every now and again, you need to hear one like this to remind yourself that you are alive. Try to enjoy it. Hopefully the space cave in some way contributes to that. Anyway, here's a song. It's by Yard Act. It's called 100% Endurance, featuring Elton John, Sir Elton John. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. I think you're great. I was woken by a bang And I could already taste the shame The sudden fear that grips and shakes you when you face the truth Whose sofa was this? Where were my shoes? What did we do last night? I don't remember leaving Nathan's house Ah yeah, how could I forget? Why my pants were soaking wet When we'd been pissing ourselves laughing at the news Did you see it too? It was incredible They played it on a loop Basically they discovered that there were others Just like us, other beings and other creatures And other planets and other species Who had other gods that they believed in And they interviewed all of them Every one of them, it's true None of them had a single clue What they were doing here either it's all so pointless It is And I find that humbling sincerely And when you're gone It brings me peace of mind to know that this'll all just carry on With someone else Someone else Something new Something new There's no need to be blue Everything's already happened, time is an illusion Now we're off to meet them, so best impress them Don't want them thinking we've been sat here doing nothing Now do we, Elton? It's alright, I've had more rips than I've had on dinner Is that how we define this life's winners? A numeric so imperative that without them we'll forget how to simply be It's hippie bullshit, but it's true Watch me explode It's also pointless, ah, but it's not though, is it? It's really real and when you feel it, you can really feel it Grab somebody that you love, grab anyone who needs to hear it Shake them by the shoulders, scream in their face Death is coming for us all, but not today 
Today you're living it, hey, you're really feeling it Give it everything you've got, knowing you can't take this with you And all you've ever needed to exist has always been within you Give me some of that good stuff, that human spirit Cut it with 100% endurance Nothing, is it?